is 4 p.m. and I would like to begin the November 16 City Council work session. Today we have a joint meeting with the Board of Supervisors as the first item in the agenda and I would like them if you can introduce yourself please. Thanks. I'm Pat Hyden, Chair of the Johnson County Board of Supervisors. Roy Sam Porter, Vice Chair. Lisa Green Douglas, Board Member. Rod Sullivan. John Green. Welcome. Uh, the first item in the agenda, we are discussing the American Rescue Plan Act Fund. And I would like to turn it to our city manager, Jeff Ruan, to start the discussion, please. Thank you. Uh, welcome to the Board of Supervisors. We appreciate uh, your time. I understand you had uh, a long ARPA meeting yesterday, so you're right back at it again with us today. We, we really do appreciate that. And again, appreciate you coming uh, here and meeting with us at our regular time and your busy schedules. Uh, so the, uh, the hope for the work session today is to begin to identify areas of collaboration now that the initial public input phases for both jurisdictions have been completed. I think both elected bodies have done some initial prioritization of funds. Uh, and uh, uh, we certainly want to see where we can uh, identify areas of collaboration. So um, the staff at both the county and the city uh, have uh, shared some of the progress with each other. And we've bullet, point, bullet pointed up here some of the reoccurring themes that came up in, in both of uh, the deliber early deliberations from the elected bodies. Um, there's a lot, uh, the bottom line is there's a lot of opportunity to collaborate, which is really exciting. And um, I know as, uh, both the city and the county staff are eager to, to work together. We could not work through all these issues in one meeting tonight. Um, so what we've done is tried to identify some of the more urgent matters uh, uh, from our lens um, that uh, we feel like we need to be moving into program implementation on. So. Uh, for tonight, um, our suggestion is that uh, we focus on those four issues up at the top of the screen there. That's the direct payments to eligible adults, eviction prevention, housing repair and relocation, and affordable housing. We hope we can have uh, a little bit of discussion on each of those four items uh, so that we can begin to move forward together or separately, uh, depending on uh, some of uh, the uh, deliberations tonight. Uh, that said, this is your meeting. Uh, if you want to uh, tackle different topics, uh, you're certainly more than welcome to do that. We're, again, just trying to structure this so we can get as much done in the limited time that we have uh, tonight. It probably goes without saying, but uh, uh, some of the uh, benefits of collaboration, uh, obviously, uh, probably at the top is that it's, it's simpler for whoever the recipients are. If we're working directly with households, organizations, to only have one entity to work with, one application uh, process, one set of eligibility criteria, uh, certainly can make things easier and expand access to programs. Uh, we can simplify the grant administration process and uh, some of the overhead costs so that more money can be uh, put into uh, the actual programs themselves. And, and that goes you know, to stretching those dollars as far as we can. Uh, the more we can collaborate, the more programs we can get off the ground and the further reach that we can have with these one-time ARPA funds. Uh, so again, this will be our areas of focus. Um, what I would suggest to you is we tackle these one by one uh, tonight. 
Um, but again, if, if you all feel comfortable with a different format, this is your meeting and you're free to take it wherever uh, you would like. So I thought we'd start uh, with the direct payments to eligible, uh, eligible adults. Um, both uh, the City Council and the Johnson County Board of Supervisors have identified this as a uh, priority use of ARPA funds. Uh, it's uh, our understanding that the Board of Supervisors will begin some intent discussions on uh, this program tomorrow at your work session. So I, I understand you don't have a, a hard proposal that you're working off at this time, but that those discussions will begin tomorrow. I think there's a few key questions that um, would, would uh, be helpful in, in tonight's setting. Um, and, and that's what these, the, the bottom part of this slide is, just something to kind of kick things off uh, where we can find some agreement and then I'm sure your conversation may take you some different ways. But the first question there is whether there's agreement that one countywide program is really the best way to go as opposed to the city doing one program and the county doing uh, one program. Uh, it seems pretty straightforward to me, again, just from the application standpoint and communication uh, standpoint out to uh, uh, persons that may be eligible for a program like this. But that's the, that's the first point that we'd suggest that you try to come to a, a consensus on. And then, uh, you know, not knowing exactly how all the funding will be uh, put together, assuming the county is going to do a program uh, for, for all residents within the county, um, you know, a discussion on what opportunities there may be uh, for the city to supplement. So if, if Johnson County does not allocate enough funds and there's uh, residents who otherwise would be eligible, uh, perhaps, but uh, cannot access it because of uh, a limited uh, county funding, can the city supplement that? Basically, how can we work with you uh, to ensure that all of our residents uh, uh, can access any type of program that, that the county may, may launch? So uh, obviously we've got county staff here, we've got city staff here. We're happy to uh, try to talk you through any uh, questions that you have, but I think I'll turn it back over to you, Mayor Pro Tem, and allow you to lead the discussion. Yeah, I can, we can open the discussion now. Um, <clears throat> well, I, I can kick this off uh, just as one supervisor. Um, you know, the county has been doing general assistance basically in some form or another since Johnson County became a county. And uh, I think that uh, a, an additional benefit that we would get from working together in that way is that our general assistance people are very knowledgeable about other programs that are out there as well. And so uh, part of their work is certainly distributing direct uh, payment, but some of their expertise is in referring people to other services in the community that might also benefit them. And so I think there's some uh, real advantages to capitalizing on that and using the, uh, the existing county general assistance staff. So the, the, does the county, when uh, in its general assistance program, um, have the capacity to deal with people in different languages who, who, don't, who don't all speak English? We currently have had um, one of our general assistant um, employees who has been actually working out of CWJ to um, work through the application process with people who are French speaking and Spanish speaking. Um, so for that, yes, that those two languages, um, but 
so far that's all specifically for that program I was just wondering about eligibility um, criteria. I think the general assistance framework, the idea of having like um, the staff that already are doing this kind of thing makes a lot of sense to me and having a unified program if we can agree on the parameters makes a lot of sense to me. Um, is the county receptive to having different like uh, dramatically simplified kind of application process compared to the existing general assistance or has, is that something that's been discussed yet i think we have um we have simplified the application process um i think we did that in in august uh, okay. so that uh, uh there would be uh you know more residents um that would would qualify for assistance i think uh um, you know, we're, we're always open to, to have those discussions, but, but I think that you would be pleased at, at uh, uh, some of that simplification that's already happened. Okay. And I think you could probably do something concurrently because there would be people that would be, uh, well, based on what we've done anyway, I don't know about you folks, but there would be people that would be eligible uh, based on need, and then there would be people that would be eligible based on other circumstances. And a person could in theory be eligible for either or or both and so and that's talking about two different things two different General things assistance but, and then this direct payment yeah. of right. ARPA funds to eligible adults you know we haven't defined as a board yet eligible adults okay but it would be nice I, I would think for an individual to know that you only have to go one place to check your eligibility for both programs mm-hmm for the direct payment and what the other program? Well, the existing general assistance program. Oh, okay. You mean they cannot be eligible for both? They could. No, they could be. They could. Yeah. But that way you don't have to go to one, sure. one person who could essentially would be knowledgeable about both and could administer both. I mean, so it sounds very much like the almost the equivalent for governments uh, for what the not some of the nonprofits do with coordinated entry at this point. So you get basically you get you just you just put your get all your inputs in once and, and are able to apply for more than one. Is there do you know if there's any um, any talk or are you thinking at all about asking other municipalities to um, to contribute to this as well? course we're not talking we haven't really talked money yet but obviously Johnson County and Iowa City have the, the lion's share of the money but there is there are funds elsewhere as well uh, Johnson County staff who are in the audience that they have done a, a, a great job of reaching out to the other municipalities and and have uh, continuously reminded them and informed them that any type of collaboration that they'd like to do we certainly would be interested mm -hmm. in that conversation um, I I don't believe at this point you know we are we are obviously collaborating with Iowa City and, and are so pleased to be here. But uh, at this point, we are not uh, talking about reaching out to the other municipalities going forward. Mm -hmm. but, but always, always open to the conversation. My question is, you know, I know like a general assistant office and you know in the beginning this is, will be a lot of people like rushing to apply. Are you going to be just opening to the public for them just to come and apply? or uh, this is going to be by appointment or do you, do you guys on that kind of stage of things or not yet 
So I think we're, you know, we're ta talking about two very specific things. Um, you know, the general assistance, which uh, certainly has uh, been a, a county program forever. And again, that's what I was referring to. And uh, uh, as far as as simplifying the application process and and the requirements, um, as far as as payment. Um, to um, to essential workers, you know, we are just working through that process now as far okay. as eligibility, you know, application process, how we're going to move forward. So we don't have we don't have any specifics on that. But but again, we'll start that discussion um, probably tomorrow at a work session. Sure. I think so. I'm personally interesting. I don't know the other council, but we are interesting in knowing is the county going to like solely do the program for the like adult eligible for payment and if after that if some like uh for example you assign certain amount of money and if you run out the city will put some or yes I, I would like to know if you thought about that and we certainly will share those details once we we you know have those at hand to share okay just just to add to what pat has said we have a whole series of points for consideration that the ARPA leadership team has been um, working through that that we need to bring to the full board and say these are things that we need to decide on and that's going to happen tomorrow <laughs> so we've got a little bit of a timing issue here that uh, makes a full discussion of this kind of challenging because we haven't as a board pinpointed some of those details that would make this discussion a little easier yeah I think that's very clear um, supervisor Douglas uh, but I think a discussion amongst us would be helpful to you too so that you have some points to consider in your mm -hmm. meeting tomorrow mm -hmm. so that you kind of plan ahead very good um, I would just like to say that being that we are doing a collaboration um, what I see is um, since we already had um, somebody from our uh, general assistance program working over at CWJ because of the languages. If not st stating CWJ do the work, but if uh, the city can place somebody and an employee or uh, and plus with one of our employees and people go over there, at least we would have the translation. You have the Spanish, you will have the uh, Sudanese, the, you, there will be various um, ethnicities to, for people to fill out the application and the help will already be there. So that's just my suggestion. Yeah, I think if Iowa City, I mean, we, we, I know as a council, I think prioritize translation and if that's something that the city can assist with, that makes a lot of sense. And maybe that's the kind of kind of thing you're looking for from us so we can <laughs> I don't know but um, and I don't know counselors if we want to my my sort of sense of this is we need to maybe decide for ourselves what we think eligible people might be or at least talk about those parameters and then the county's going to have their conversation tomorrow but we may at least be able to help them see if we're on the same page or not oh yeah so I think um, I don't really know where to begin on that. I guess we're, we're talking about adults 
right, which was people 18 and older. Um, we're talking about people who have not received certain assistance or, I mean, can we kind of flesh that out? Maybe staff is better equipped to how would you uh, do that? How would you verify that? I mean, I personally am a fan of the self-certification. I mean, I think what we saw last year with the the program that was being administered at CWJ with the uh, shelter house assistance, when we kind of were willing to take that step to say, if you, you know, are willing to say under oath that you meet these criteria and you are uh, presumably a resident of the county is another <laughs> requirement. And if there were, if we didn't agree on elements, right? If the city said, "Well, we want people to, we want some different criteria," then we'd have to figure out how to administer that. Um, yeah, I don't know how other counselors feel. Well, we do know that there's going to be some issues with identification. So one of the things that Johnson County has done is the community ID. So that right there would be most definitely one of the main things that if they didn't have it they had their community id we can identify them that way but like you say you have to be a resident of johnson county and you couldn't get no better than the community id so for right. those who didn't have because they've already met they didn't already went through that so. process yeah mm -hmm. i mean i think that's that's a clear that's a huge advantage for this for this county to have done done that program and have and have that ID out there. That's yes. that's an enormous step up because if they don't have other IDs, they can have that and that. So. I also believe there is some people still they don't have their community ID yet. And for example, yesterday at CWG, two people came and they they don't have their community ID. And I know that they live in Coralville. So if with the program, where you hold it, like for example, as a general assistant, wherever you decide later, if we can have a, like a mobile clinic for community ID, will be an advantage. I think the trust factor is going to have to be very important too on, on both sides and on, on the persons that are applying because from what I've heard there's still that sort of fear factor that uh, ICE is going to be right around the corner and, and grab them if they say that they're not a citizen and also uh, on the fact that we have to trust that, that they truly are residents of Johnson County and really do qualify so I think that trust factor is going to be very important. And also I think also working with the leader from those community will be really huge uh, if you can work with those, like the leader from the same community, from the, the community that are eligible. Uh, because those are people that we know and those are the people who know the folks around the area. So, you know, that, consider that too, like to identify some people to help you, like be it help, I mean, uh, you know, with your program or our program too. I'd like to go back to what Pauline said, um, that trust factor, um, applicants trusting us that, um, you know, if they claim that they aren't, you know, that they are undocumented, that there won't be, you know, someone waiting in the wings for them. Um, the other end, though, of that, of our simply trusting that they are residents, um, comes with a cost because of all of the compliance pieces that go with part of the um, U.S. Treasury guidelines and, and the compliance pieces that have to be there when you give money. Um, 
we would have to know that they are residents somehow. Um, just like with the community ID, they did in fact have to show something that, sh you know, piece of mail or something that indicated um, residency. Uh, that it, it can't be, and, and Laura stated that resi residents of Johnson County, you know, that that would be one of the criteria. So I, I think that we have to be, move forward with that with um, an open heart, certainly, but also caution and protection of, of us as an entity, uh, the two entities. I mean, I, I agree, and I, but I, and I think that also what Mayor Pro Tem said is if, if there was a way to link up like a, a mobile um, county ID station with this so that people who don't have them have the opportunity either to do it there or do it somewhere nearby or know exactly what they're going to need to go and get one so that they can come back and register for assistance, linking those two up could help us all because then we'd end up with more people with, with an ID and, um, and they'd also be eligible for it. The it's definitely got to be that way because right now community ID is through appointment only. Mm -hmm. So that's not going to get people through fast. So we right. And also there's a, t a timeline from when you make the application to when you get it. So um, that would certainly be something for consideration to start doing now um, some of those. Yep. So that prior to the application process for um, eligible adults to receive payments if we had a community ID or several options for getting that. And far as transportation, some of them might not have transportation so we can go into the mobile parks. We know, we know where to go, you know, those that can't make it, we can go to them. <clears throat> I think that's why it come you should identify some leaders and hire them to help you doing that because uh, after you identify the programs, the people who are going to work on the programs, and if it can be not only at the general system, maybe, yeah, they can move around mm -hmm. and do like a mobile one and identify from each community people who you trust that will point out the people who really are eligible for this and help you yes. out, yeah. So you suggest and they help out with the application process? I mean, like, uh, I, I when, well, yeah, it, it's going to be application anyway. Yeah. I don't think nothing will be without application. Right. It will be like, a, a, that's what I'm envisioning. I don't know what the others say, but I'm envisioning it like application symbol questions. Yeah. And uh, after that, do it, not only do it like, for example, the general assistant, where you don't go like move around, go like to, uh, like have a clinic, mobile clinic for that somewhere and identify leaders to help you because they're supposed to be like living on that place or they know that place very well so you can work with them. Okay, I certainly don't want to don't want to cut off any discussion but um, just to summarize kind of where I'm what I'm hearing and give you an opportunity to correct me. Um, it does seem that there's consensus that there should be one program. General assistance seems like the logical home. I think that's a, 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 a great place to start. Um, uh, the county's got uh, a little bit of work to do tomorrow and probably the days and weeks following to try to put together a, a framework of a program. 
um, I think the City Council will be anxious to kind of review that and offer some some thoughts and then the ball will kind of be in the city's court to, de to determine if uh, we want to do anything above and beyond uh, whatever it is that the county may propose but good discussions on the uh, application criteria uh, proof of residency age uh, uh, there's some discussion about self-certification uh, around the COVID impact and possibly other elements that may be required, mobile efforts, translation, all, all things that um, uh, we made note of and, and uh, uh, we'll continue to talk with the county staff about. So anything else before we move on from the direct payments? It, it's nice to start off with one where we know we can really work together on and have a, have a good impact. Just from a regulatory standpoint, as far as the Treasury guidance, like Supervisor Green Douglas was talking about, do we have any reason to think that there would be certain criteria that could not be self-certified? I don't know that I'm prepared to answer that right now. I'll look at the county staff or any of the city staff. Do you want to? You want Mike Hench, Executive Director, Board of Supervisors. Um, at least two um, criteria we have to take reasonable efforts to ensure it's correct would be the actual identity of the individual and their actual place of residence, that they are in fact a county residence. So those would be at least two. But of course, remember the decision making is constrained by all the United States Department of Treasury regulations in applicable Iowa State Code. So there's probably actually a series of decisions you can make within a range and so that's just a thought to keep in mind. Thank you. Anything else on the topic of direct payments? Okay, um, eviction prevention, and I'm gonna hit the lights just so the screen's a little easier. All right, the second topic that we uh, are suggesting you tackle is eviction prevention. Again, showed up on uh, both the county list and the city list. Uh, we already have some collaboration uh, uh, in the works uh, on this front, um, uh, particularly with the uh, partnership with Iowa Legal Aid and, and Shelter House at the, at the courthouse. Um, Iowa City has also done some additional eviction prevention work in the past year uh, with both local and uh, relief funds that we've received. I think it's safe to say that um, we, we, the programs that have been started in the last year are built really for the emergent situation. They're not really built for uh, long-term administration. In other words, there wasn't uh, a real push to uh, really analyze the staffing needs and the resources. Uh, it, was, it was get the program stood up as fast as we can and let's help as many people as we can. Uh, we have an opportunity with these ARPA funds to do um, a longer-term program. Uh, you know that the ARPA funds uh, can extend use all the way into 25. Um, so if we're going to have long-term eviction prevention, or at least uh, two, three years of eviction prevention, I think it's really smart that everybody just kind of takes stock of what's there right now. We have a good framework, but it may not be resourced for the long haul. We may need to invest in some again, additional staffing for those agencies that are carrying out those programs. 
some additional outreach. Uh, you mentioned translation in your earlier discussion. That would certainly apply to uh, this discussion as well. So what we wanted you to talk about tonight um, is uh, your observations, your thoughts on the existing eviction prevention programs that we've stood up. If you're comfortable with the city and county staff working with those providers to really uh, kind of bolster the program for uh, for a longer period of time and if you're seeing any gaps in the service if you're if you're hearing things from your constituents that you'd like to see addressed in a proposal we can certainly work on that uh, with the various providers uh, in the community I'll turn it back over to you thank you Janice Okay. Any start of the discussion? I mean, I think it's worth the longer term investment. I think it's something we should do. Um, I, I just have anecdotal experience from talking with um, some people who participated in the Iowa Legal Aid program that it seems to be very, very effective with that desk that they've had at the courthouse. That is the la absolute you know, last step. However, it's not, I guess it is preventative technically, um, but it's not proactive. Um, so I guess there's a question about the existing programs. Are there any um, categories of people who wouldn't be eligible that we might want to consider expanding for? Or, I mean, I guess I'm not totally I mean, I guess sure who I'm, we're serving. For the, from the little bit, from the, the bit that I have heard, I'm, I would be more, I would be concerned about, or I would want to look at figuring out how to expand it on the front end so that we, we make sure landlords are fully informed and figure out how to get the information in the hands of tenants before in whatever languages they need before they get to this point so they know that if they get some kind of eviction notice whether it's legal or not they know what the resources are and where to find them because I think there I have the sense that there's still a lot of people who d for um, don't really know what their rights are um, and don't know where to find out the information Sure, it, certainly if they show up at the courthouse, there's going to be something there, but so many evictions and issues occur because people don't actually make it that far in terms of going to court. I know that um, the Affordable Homes Coalition and Sarah Barron, they've done a lot of work in this area, and uh, I'd, I'd certainly like to know what they thought about how things have gone and, and what improvements could be made or, or, or not. Um, but I uh, certainly somebody we should bring to the table I think I think from my experience with Sierra Baron on that I know that the state was taking a long time for the people to do I know that the application process is very difficult and I know that taking t times until you know sometimes people receive evictions and they have while they are waiting for the state they have to go to the Iowa legal aid or they have to go to the you know shelter house so they can prevent that evictions i i, I just believe uh, we need a quick program we need um, a program that may be designed by the city and the county where they hire people specifically of just doing that I, i'm really going to be really from my experience nothing against other programs because as a program, the only thing other programs have a lot thing to do besides like helping people with this. And I think now we have money, 
We can hire people specifically just to doing that, nothing else. And this should be like a, maybe a county employee temporary and a city employee temporary, and we put a program. I don't know where you house it, I don't care. It's, it's in the city, on the county, somewhere else. But people really to focus only on helping those people and expedite the process and not make it difficult. If you, they have all the criteria, if they met, uh, you know, all the legibility criteria, okay, just fast doing it. Like verify from the landlord, they behind, and after that do it. Because if we're going to do it the way that it's currently doing, that's not going to be working. We still have money. We have those money since last summer, and it's still sitting there. The process is really difficult. That's what I really want to say. So I think, Jeff, that kind of answers your question. Some of the comments Mayor Pro Tem said was, and I think you described it as bolstering the program, and I think that's what it would need is, is, a, is a boost um, uh, in, in staffing and outreach, as you said, and, and funds. Uh, something that would help. I think the extra person would help maybe in the delay process and letting these people know ahead of time. I mean, obviously, most of them, I don't know the situations, but most of them are aware. I mean, they're probably already behind in their rent, and so they're anticipating it's going to happen. So it's not going to be overnight and they're evicted the next day. So hopefully we can avoid those kinds of situations. My understanding is there there are actions that are happening or have to be happening in Des Moines right now as well because this Iowa is one of the bottom tier of states in terms of rolling out the funds to applicants and I believe that by yesterday they had to they had to produce some they had to submit some sort of re report to the federal government to that hopefully will result in them getting a streamlined process and not because what what's at risk because they're in the lower tier what's at risk if is if they're if they are not pushing the funds out at at the rate they need to be and they don't sign up for one of these programs the state could lose funds to states that are actually doing a good job with it i'm, I'm kind of confused there um we have until the end of is it 2025 to spend them this is I'm, I'm, so what, I apologize. Are you talking about a program specific? I'm, I, I apologize, Supervisor Green Douglas. I'm, I'm referring to the, the funds. So we're talking about you know putting some of the ARPA funds to, to help people navigate the system that exists mm -hmm. to get money from the state. The state has funds that I think came from the CARES Act. I'm not sure where, where, what, where they originated, but they've been really slow to respond to all these applications. And so unless at least my understanding of what I've read is that, that unless they really improve their process, they may actually lose some of those funds to states that have, that have been much better at, at pushing, at, 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 at responding to applications. We're talking about CARES Act money here then, not, but what, not the, the, the state is CARES the Act. Our money to help people okay. get it implemented would be ARPA funds. Yeah. Well, we have time for the ARPA funds. Yeah. We don't have to get those out the door right now and fear that they're going to be scooped. I think the question is, are we, is the, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Did I interrupt? Um, I think maybe just a, kind of a backup question that I have is, are, are we talking about um, our eviction prevention dollars are being spent on essentially people and outreach that are f still facilitating those state programs. I think that's what um, Janice is referring to, that we could put some ARPA dollars towards helping, 
you know, those who are eligible for the state program, make sure they're accessing those funds and, and exhausting right. those funds. And so maybe we just need to actually talk about, are, is there something other than that with eviction prevention that we're talking about? I wonder if we could frame it even as like housing stability rather than just mm -hmm. eviction prevention. I mean, just as I'm sitting here thinking about it, eviction prevention feels so last ditch. It feels so, yep. you know, everything else has run out and it doesn't address uh, any kind of homeowner help. So I know that there is a time to spend this money until 2025, but, and I know that there is some money on the state that we're trying to ask to push people apply for it first. We don't know, like, I know that the state extend their, uh, they said until December and after that they extend it to next year because they still have money. But we have to think to this in both way. You mentioned that like maybe fund, be, uh, like fund somebody to help people maybe apply, continue apply for IFA. That's one thing. But keep in mind there is people are not, like they don't want to apply for IFA. They have a lot of fear that they don't want to put their information handed to IFA. So that means there is some emergency portion of this fund have to be spent now uh, for those people who are not eligible, not like kind of eligible because now they open the eligibility for everyone, but some people, they just don't want to apply for IFA, so they don't want to risk their self. We can, I think we can go on the same line, like, yeah, like help people apply for IFA, in the same time, allocate some fund for the people who are not eligible for IFA, or they don't want to, not eligible for IFA, or they don't want to apply because of certain situation. In a better world, I'd agree that it would make a lot of sense to use our much more limited ARPA allocation to help folks apply to IFA, but uh, unless somebody has the ability to bring Director Debbie Durham to God, uh, I think that agency is going to continue dragging its feet, and I think it would be a mistake for us to hope that the state is going to be a partner in good faith with us. They've, they've shown no interest in getting these dollars out the door. I agree that it would be wonderful if we could invest our money as a force multiplier, but I think realistically we're going to have to look at ways that we can use these dollars ourselves between Iowa City and Johnson County. Do folks uh, on council have an opinion about some sort of targeted outreach, particularly to Corville and North Liberty, uh, as far as this, this type of effort would go? I don't see why not. But <laughs> They get in evictions in Corville and North Liberty too. Yes. So they, those same people from Corville and North Liberty are being helped. Um, what did we give? Forty thousand, fifty thousand. We gave out fifty thousand for the eviction, and so we have money allocated for um, what we have down here is expand the eviction diversion program. And so that's not IFA, that's not nobody having to go to IFA, that's people who have been evicted who need the help right now. Sure. So we have money allocated for that. So I, I'm just kind of thinking that an official request maybe from each entity yeah. 
would be a good way to make sure it was got on there uh, in front of the right people. Because it certainly makes sense to me to, to ask, officially ask. Mm -hmm. I think if you got an eviction, you don't need to go to IFA. <laughs> no. Yeah not for an eviction if you got an eviction notice this is just this program that's set up for that yeah no i'm just i'm talking about corville and north liberty oh here. okay yeah that's not in anybody's interest to have their have their people out on the street mm -hmm. or, or risk going out into the street yeah any more discussion or jeff can walk us through the text one okay well i i think I think we've probably picked up enough as staff to where we're comfortable working on a proposal that we could bring to both entities. Uh, certainly happy to, to uh, engage Coralville and North Liberty with a formal request as well to see if uh, they're interested in that. And uh, uh, I think I think we've got the flavor for for what you're what you're looking at there. Uh, item three of four is housing repair and relocation. These are urgent. Uh, housing matters where there's life safety issues. Uh, I know at the city level we heard uh, uh, a lot of this in our public input uh, efforts. I presume uh, the county did as well since it showed up on your list. Um, a couple of different things here, and I, I'm not really sure what, what areas of collaboration, but your discussion may, may help us identify that. Um, for Iowa City, I think we have kind of a, um, a, a two-pronged kind of uh, um, focus here. We know we have some emergent issues in one particular neighborhood, that's the Forest View neighborhood, uh, where we uh, probably have um, more relocation needs than, than uh, repair needs based on not only the condition of a lot of those homes, but the overall condition of uh, the, larger, uh, the, the larger neighborhood and the infrastructure that supports it. So we're probably looking at a very focused program in Iowa City to assist uh, the, the residents in the Forest View neighborhood. But we also know we have urgent housing needs throughout the city. So kind of where we're, what we're thinking at a, at a city level is whether it's one program with a little bit of target towards Forest View or actually two separate programs, uh, uh, kind of uh, that, that viewpoint. Um, I think at the county level, if I understand correctly, you've been talking about aging in place repairs. Uh, you've been talking about healthy homes programs. We do have a uh, healthy homes program in Iowa City. It may not I exactly align with, with what your thoughts are, but again, if uh, you have a discussion tonight about what you really see at the county level is, is the uh, uh, urgent or need that you want to address with these ARPA funds, I think at a staff level we'll be able to um, uh, to, to better identify whether there's uh, some collaboration on, a, on repair and relocation programs, or it may be that uh, it's just better suited uh, two different audiences, two different targets to, to do them separate. Uh, so you, you see a couple of prompting questions there, but, but hopefully my intro helps um, really just want to hear the elected bodies talk about the housing uh, needs that, that you're thinking of as, uh, as these programs have risen to the top of your list. <coughs> the um you mentioned the healthy homes and we, that was one of the items that we had identified as uh potential for collaboration funding a home repair program that would include lead remediation and promote healthy homes and childhood environments um the other one that you mentioned jeff uh, about aging in place 
was targeted more towards rural um, and aging residents, but doesn't mean that there couldn't be some collaboration as well there. And um, that particular one, we would work with uh, local uh, organizations that already do that. Exactly. Yeah, there are a few that are, in fact, on that. discussion about the city city council is there any any particular um, focus that you want us thinking about as we begin program implementation or every from a staff standpoint do you think we're looking at this correctly with an acute need really in one neighborhood and then maybe a uh, a second tier of the program that would be citywide I would say yes forest view kind of maybe as its own thing with the immediacy of that need forest view seems to be the most immediate yeah forest view is i think um tracy haichu had has done an amazing job in in the county and in the city with the healthy homes project and i think she would be a good resource and uh, be able to uh, elaborate on that project because that's been very helpful and she's collaborated with I think the AmeriCorps folks and mm -hmm. even the College of Nursing to do some home inspections and some health health teaching just to clarify um, you identified Forest View as needing largely relocation over repair yes, yes. and then um, because the other the ones I can think of anyway some of the other mobile home parks um, are indefinite need of repair. Mm -hmm. There are lots of them. Um, I think there is many complaints for Breckenridge and, and also Regency, and as a county level, you know, uh, outside the city limits. So that's something maybe you can think of too. Right, but, the, but I mean, but yes, the situation in Forest View is a, a, a different level. Ba basically, it's very difficult to repair anything there anymore. And mm -hmm. even the the infrastructure is really bad over okay. there. So. Very I guess we reached yeah. the point that yeah. we would need to relocate. It, it sounds to me, at least uh, this preliminary discussion, that uh, this may be something that we not collaborate um, on. It, it seems like our focus at this point anyway is, is rural and, and aging. And um, you, know, you have a, a very specific target. So. Uh, again you know that's which absolutely is is fine uh, but that's what i'm hearing right now i i think so i mean certainly to the extent that the relocation for forest certainly. view is a separate thing yeah I, I wouldn't have the expectation that the county would be supporting that but at, you know with our staff collaborating and communicating if we have kind of this second tier program and you all are doing you know kind of what you develop hopefully at least we can share information and see if there is any more opportunities for collaborating once those are a little more formulated sounds good yeah so the thing I could see on the collaboration is perhaps the monetary amount because uh, especially mobile homes these days if they're moving from one to another are very expensive mm -hmm. and just giving them you know fifteen hundred dollars or whatever is is not going to be a major help mm -hmm. so putting funds together would be helpful in that respect uh, about four years ago, they started um, talking about redeveloping 
in Forest View. I think you, you and I were on that together with some CWJ folks and the developers who were, I don't know, are they still going to develop out there? Because they had okay. said and promised that they would help with the relocation. I think that's really falling apart now. That it, seem, it seems to be a dead letter at this point with okay. serious financial issues. Yeah. Okay. Because they did relocate that one family right. that mm -hmm. they worked with. And they, yeah. Okay. Well, I tend to agree with the uh, the sentiment there raised by Supervisor Hyden and and others that this is this is probably one where we have uh, distinct interests and and maybe better uh, pursued separate. So thank you for that. Um, last topic I know uh, has been uh, tops on, on uh, both elected bodies agendas for many years. Obviously we have a huge opportunity to uh, accelerate some affordable housing projects and uh, uh, we thought uh, just a, an initial conversation here would help. Uh, obviously we have uh, uh, some time uh, with the ARPA um, framework to, to make some decisions. But a couple of things that I wanted to bring up uh, for, for the last uh, a couple of years on and off, there's been a little bit of discussion about the county property at 821 South Clinton and the, the uh, potential opportunity to uh, partner uh, city county on a uh, project that uh, uh, could feature um, any number of uses, but really focused on public benefit. So we've got listed here some, some ideas that have come up. Child care could be government office space, permanent affordable housing. Um, that's something uh, that I, I saw showed up on the county list that, that it looks like you're going to be actively pursuing with some ARPA funds. We'd love to have that discussion to, to see how we might be able to um, partner with you on that development. I know you've extended that uh, opportunity to us in the past and we appreciate that. Uh, but as you ramp up, just kind of knowing how you're going to tackle that and whether uh, there's a role for us to play uh, in the coming months is good. And then. We're both uh, contributors to the uh, Housing Trust Fund of Johnson County. Uh, we've seen uh, proposals come in from the Affordable Housing Coalition through this process to supplement our funding uh, to that entity uh, to help um, pursue affordable housing, uh, not only in the city, but uh, throughout the county. So those are a couple of things that we wanted to, to prompt you with today. You may have other ideas outside of those two, certainly on affordable housing projects. I know we've had lots of ideas uh, floated at the city uh, from community land trusts to active acquisition of new sites to pursue per permanent affordable housing. So by no means am I suggesting these are the only two options, uh, but thought that uh, those are two areas that uh, either we're actively partnering on in the case of the housing trust fund or that we've discussed partnering on uh, with your county owned property on Clinton Street. I'll, I'll take it from there. Maybe, maybe turn it back over to you. And if we could hear uh, from the county, just kind of some of your thought process on the, on, on your 821 property, uh, that might be helpful to start us off. Um, there were a, a few times when, when we had met together regarding that property. And um, then we kind of put the brakes on for a while for a number of reasons. Part of it, um, you know, there's there's rumor that the city is going to be reconfiguring the streets there, and that really would, you know, be helpful to know how that was going to be done before any kind of project takes place there. Um, the county has also been um, has had multiple meetings with the owner of the other part of that property, 
to the um, west in order to try to um, reconfigure both um, owners' properties so that it would be a little bit more of a buildable lot and for us to get some street front and there were some problems there. Maybe that's somewhere where you guys would have more luck than us. Um, <laughs> just getting us some street front there to work with. Um, and I, I thought that at one point too, there were, we did kind of leave it in the staff's hands to look for um, ways of developing that. So I thought that's where we were on it. Did I, did I miss something? Well, I think we, we can figure out mechanics in terms of how to move forward. I think uh, uh, hearing kind of some of the thoughts, ideas, and visions for that space might, might help us identify exactly how best to pursue that for childcare, mm -hmm. uh, certainly affordable housing from a city standpoint. Um, we've got, uh, you know, you, you're in the riverfront crossing zone. So as this moves from a public designation to potentially a private, if you, if you ultimately seek a, a private partner, um, there's an opportunity to, to build up quite a bit uh, from what's there too. So we, I think we can explore all those options. Um, uh, just want to confirm that it, it appears the county is moving forward with those discussions at this point uh, and, and looking at some ARPA funds maybe to, to jumpstart things. I, I think it does make sense because it's county property but right in the city limits for it to be a great opportunity for some sort of collaboration um, the talks that I was involved in were considering the bottom part, as you mentioned here, um, you have a couple of the things, but a childcare facility would be an option and then apartments upward. And the, the thing that we also need to remember is that while we can create some, um, you know, quite a bit of affordable housing there too, people at the real tip top might be willing to pay a lot of money for that great view of the river. And so that can be another consideration to have it just a multi, um, multi-layered in terms of um, folks that would live there potentially. We're talking about affordable housing, right? I see mix, both. Mix, mix, what I'm saying, mix, mix, mix income. So that houses there will be great. So we, I really don't like to see like affordable housing by itself. So like people point it as low income housing. Mm -hmm. You know, if we can have like multi incomes, like mixed income, I mean, right. uh, will be great. Like some, I guess, market price, uh, you know, apartment and some affordable apartment. And the yeah, county's like been uh, considering our, our campus footprint there recently. And we're going to engage in some renovations of the of the current area that we have, but there's really that is pretty much the only available unbuilt space that's out of the floodplain. Uh, as you know from 2008, a lot of county stuffs in the floodplain. <laughs> so, um, so we have to get this right, and I think we have to have an eye toward 50 to 100 years, because there's not really a plan B in the campus area. I mean, we would then be talking about probably, um, you know, moving some sort of service farther away and that's not ideal. So um, whatever we do here, I think we're gonna have to think 
a little bigger than normal, we're going to have to think a little more long term than than maybe we always do, because it really is uh, we kind of have one shot to get it right. Mm -hmm. And and I think uh, as uh, my my colleagues have stated, you know we're excited about uh, the potential opportunity with Iowa City and, and what that will look like going forward. Frankly, I think it'd be a huge mistake to not be working with Iowa City on this. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know exactly how it looks, but I, I sure hope we're partners. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I would love to see mixed housing plus some childcare in there, but, but, but really truly affordable basically in perpetuity, not the if, it, if right, it's, not if it's like owned away. by the by the city by the city and county, mm -hmm. as opposed to like ten, twenty, or thirty years. Mm -hmm. um, and there is like Supervisor Sullivan, you're referring to sort of the, your footprint. I have no idea what's going to happen with the big city carton property, but there is this big chunk of property adjacent to all of that right now. That's where nothing's happening. Open Heartlands over there Open now. Heartlands there. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll certainly uh, continue to engage uh, the county on that. I think there's a lot of great potential there, and uh, like we said, you know, we've got some time with the ARPA funds. We can we can work to get that right and make sure that uh, your space needs studies fully considered and that sort of thing. Um, what about other affordable housing efforts? I mentioned the trust fund here. Um, have either the, the council members or board of supervisors? Is there anything else that you you really want your staff to be uh, looking at right now to kind of get jump started on that uh, larger priority with the ARPA funds we did have one other thing in our list um, for those of you that have been around long enough uh, the county many years ago purchased a row of houses across the street from the jail the thinking was that at some point there would be some kind of courthouse expansion and or jail expansion and that that space might get used obviously that has never happened the county still owns those houses and they have been um, they've been rentals uh, to be completely honest we haven't uh, given them as much thought probably as we should over the last few years and and we uh, just recently talked about taking a look at just how their old houses we need to take a look at their uh, the efficacy they have going forward but uh perhaps just just putting them into some kind of making them affordable housing moving forward i think the question is kind of twofold it's what's the long-term uh, picture for that property and i think the answer is we have no idea and then uh you know how how good are the houses are they worth putting people in and and i guess if the answer is yes that's a really good short-term use uh, of the houses so we'd like to to think about that I don't know that the city has any role there except telling Stan Laverman to be really nice <laughs> and two also we also have on here to provide discounted fares for low-income indiv individuals utilizing public transit mm -hmm. so that's transportation that's one that we have allocated money to that and we would like you to partner with us because Iowa City Transit. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Yeah, that's that's certainly something that, that we could talk about. That that came up in our council deliberations on ARPA as well. We had kind of tucked that under a workforce uh, category, but it certainly uh, you know applies to housing overall housing costs, just cost of living. So mm -hmm. uh, very happy to engage with you on that. Thank you very much. Uh, the other day, two people just told me, and they said that after they knew I'm in the city council, they said, "Why the city don't have bus for for like?" the mobile homes and when they identified the mobile home that was outside the city limit. Uh, I don't know if that's something also in your radar, how can we just expand the transportation to cover like county places? I don't know that it comes into the ARPA discussion necessarily, but it certainly impacts that 821 uh, South Clinton, which is the Crandick rail line is right there. Mm -hmm. And at the MPOGC meeting tomorrow, we're going to be talking again about the possibility of the Crandick passenger rail, at least North Liberty to Iowa City. So is that Crandick there? I think that I think that one is Crandick. Oh. Yeah, right there. Um, Mayor Pertem, Salee raises a good point about the mobile home courts because two of them that are just kind of on the outskirts of, of Iowa City, uh, the two that are uh, off of Scott Boulevard are actually the county and not the city. And then, of course, the, the lakeside, Lakeview or Lakeside, uh, out further on Riverside Drive is county. So there's three of those that aren't serviced by city transit currently. Right. But it, is there something, I think I agree with her, that maybe jointly with the county uh, we could work out something, some sort of uh, transit system to them. And just a comment from uh, Councillor uh, Bergeson and uh, the discussion about Crantic Rail. You know, we have allocated funds to investigate alternative transportation, particularly rail um, options in Johnson County. So, mm -hmm. so at this point, um, you know, we, we do have funds to work towards that. So, excellent. Um, be very interested on in how that transpires. I think that um, transportation is is really a huge thing. And when we did our um, forum, I don't know what you want to call it, the status of poverty in Johnson County, um, childcare, affordable housing, and trans transportation spiraled through every aspect of it and um, had more disproportionate impact on certain populations because of um, where they live and they're living there because of, you know, so it, it was just kind of like a catch 22, which came first, but, um, transportation type things, uh, tend to, they need to originate within a city and, and expand outward. Um, and then, and when they do that, then, you know, we have to provide paratransit wherever you have a fixed route. Um, but currently to address some of those, those places outside of city limits, we do have a, like an on-demand seats type thing. It's, um, not ideal. Um, certainly what would be ideal is to have a fixed route, um, that can with expanded hours to address, um, people who work second shift third shift and that sort of thing weekends um but it I, I think that there's a lot of option for collaboration but it has to start f 
from within the city because that's the way transportation is fun. Yeah, it's so tricky and multi-layered in terms of funding and such. Um, but I think that there's a lot of willingness for people to say, yes, let's find ways that we can make that happen. I think definitely for like, for example, Sunrise and whether Manaro or Zaya, it still is just a Scott Boulevard and it's still they're using the transportation that come like by Scott Boulevard, just cross the street from them, they can just walk into, but the problem really will be for something like Regency or Breckenridge and those, mm -hmm. the other thing. And I, I really believe it's work of cooperation between the county and the city of doing something like that. So we can include those folks. So, so at the risk of um, mixing apples with oranges, Jeff, do we have any sense how much public transit money is likely to come from the infrastructure bill that was just signed? No, those, those details are still kind of filtering out right now. Um, a lot of it will be targeted towards infrastructure and fleet um, needs. So you're gonna see a lot of bus replacement dollars and then uh, in our in our selfish hope, uh, hopefully facility uh, dollars come through. Um, there are some formula funding uh, opportunities that could impact operations, but it's a little too early to tell what they might produce. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I think that's a... Can I ask a question? Yeah, you I, I don't know if... I, I don't think the county's ever done any kind of study. Has anybody at the city ever done any kind of study of some of these uh places just on the outskirts of the city like a breckenridge has anybody ever tried to gauge the interest in bus service i don't think we have mm -mm. but that might be a first step is for question. Mm -hmm. for us to try to figure yeah. out just what kind of interest there is and i don't know if you, since you folks have done you know you, you know how how fixed route works maybe if you have uh surveys that we could could take and modify that would be helpful we could try to gauge that interest uh, Laura you said you're an MPO uh, who, I am and you are and because I didn't they recently do a huge um, transportation study <laughs> well <laughs> Iowa City Coralville and Canvas all together those three transit operators did right but I don't think we went outside of those municipal areas. No, and I think maybe, it would be. Maybe I think it's worthwhile. What they asked and and how far out they asked it would help us to know where to start, and you, how to make it articulate one with the other. I, I think we learned enough through that study and just through our through our operations to know if you're looking at going out to serve like a Regency, it's gonna be extremely cost inefficient to do so on a fixed route basis. You're probably gonna want an on-demand type of service uh, to be able to do that. Um, you know, we have routes that run all the way through Iowa City uh, without having to, to cross kind of the rural cross section um, that, that are pretty, I don't say inefficient, but pretty costly to run just because of, of lack of ridership. So. I think you're gonna see more uh, focus on that uh, demand responsive model, especially if you're just targeting a specific neighborhood. I think it'll be better from a customer service standpoint. I think it'd be better from a, uh, a cost standpoint too, but we can certainly give you some data to help back that, back that thought up. Well, and the on-demand service through seats does exist currently. 
Jeff, are we still, I feel like the council is going to be getting some additional, like more defined information about some of those um, on-demand options yeah. for like our late night and expanded service. So, yeah, so we're on phase three yeah. of our transit study implementation. For phase one was kind of fair adjustment and alignment. Two was the route realignment. Uh, three is Sunday service, which we will launch uh, in uh, early uh, 20, um, uh, early uh, uh, 2021. I've got my years mixed up. What year is it now? 21. 21 and 22. Jeez. Been, been a couple of years. Um, and then the fourth phase is that on-demand service. So uh, as we look at on-demand, for, for us, it was focused on, on late nights, overnights, kind of third shift workers, uh, underserved neighborhoods uh, with, with our current transit system. Perhaps there's some ways to extend that on-demand service out to, uh, out to, to rural county um, housing developments. Well, I just wanted to throw out there, this is the very last one for me. Um, you have community violence intervention, and we also has um, put some money over to hire a community violence prevention coordinator to de to design and implement evidence-based approaches to reducing violence. So, right. yeah, these are th this last slide. If you didn't catch me, Did flip you? it. Is just some other areas that we've either seen on both lists or perhaps that came up on a city list or a county list that we thought there'd be some other areas. So um, I appreciate that, uh, knowing that there, there's an interest there. If you wanna discuss these tonight, you can. We didn't really anticipate getting into any of these. It's just an acknowledgement that you know, we have a grant in front of us that, that we have a few years to put to use. Um, and uh, hopefully there'll be a lot more opportunities to, to collaborate than just the, the three or four that we talked about tonight. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else from any of the elected officials uh, that you wanted to cover tonight while you're here? We don't get together too often. <laughs> I don't know. Did we really give you much feedback on the affordable housing part? I guess I just want to say out loud, I, I am in favor of, of injecting something, you know, to, with the housing trust fund. I think they have a really good track record of using and leveraging those dollars and um, being able to do a lot more than we could on, you know, if, if we were doing that a direct spend. So I just want to say that's where I am on that. If I could just offer, I, I think I think one benefit of that now, and I think you're, you're I know you're going to see this at the city uh, level. I, don't, I won't go for, so far as to say at the county level because I, I don't know. There's only so much in terms of programs that we can stand up so quickly. So if we can identify those trusted partners in the community and allow them to get to work to put to some of this, this money to use, that to me that's a huge benefit. Because if it's we have to wait till we do these first three programs and then we're gonna get to this list, it will take a while to get this, these dollars out the door. We are going to need partners to help implement. So it's it's a question of whether you're you're comfortable making that decision this early on in the in kind of the granting process, um, but both the county and the city have been funding the trust fund for years now. Uh, I know I've been very impressed with how they've been able to put those dollars to work, and I, I personally would be very comfortable giving them an initial allocation of ARPA dollars uh, and, and allowing them and their board and their, their network to really explore um, how best to put that to use. It doesn't have to be a, a huge chunk of dollars uh, right off the bat, right? I mean, you can always supplement that a year down the road, two years down the road with additional funds if you, if you uh, saw fit. But to me, that's a really good opportunity to put some money out in the community. 
and get another entity uh, putting it to work faster than we could at a city staff level. Well, they certainly have the, the experience. Um, the county does, uh, we've been giving since I've been on the board at least, and I think that was the first year, uh, around $640,000 annually through a regular budgeting process to the Housing Trust Fund. Um, I, I feel like that's a substantial amount and given the um, requests and, and um, need for these ARPA dollars, and I'm not saying this isn't a, a, a valid need, but um, we're, we're doing a substantial amount in, within that organization already, I, I think. Okay. And I too just want to state that a one bedroom for $945 is not affordable housing to me. Mm -hmm. I will continue to say it. I will continue to push it. A one bedroom for $945 is not affordable housing. Mm -hmm. Nope. Yep. I would agree, agree with you, Supervisor Porter. The, the one thing that I'd add is sort of looking at, I think we'll know within the next month, month and a half, whether, whether um, Build Back Better will pass. Um, and with respect to, in, in particular, with respect to um, preschool, pre-K for three and four-year-olds, as well as huge investments in childcare. So, I mean, I think within about the next six weeks, we're gonna know if that, if, if funds are going to come our way for that, separate from this. Mm -hmm. Okay, anyone else? <laughs> Well, we, we appreciate the invitation to, to be here tonight and really look forward to collaborating and, and partnering on these programs and projects that, that are appropriate. So thanks again. Thank you Good so much discussion. for coming in. And yeah. we're going to continue coverage yes. mm -hmm. for the benefit Thank of the Johnson County residents. Yeah. Thank you for your time and, and good luck tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so Mayor Pro Tem, I might suggest we just take five, ten minute break in the work session and then come back if that's okay sure. with you. Yeah, we can do that. Five minute break then. <laughs>
Okay, we're going to go to second item on the work session agenda, which is classification of agenda item. I see here we have item number 5F on the agenda CBRB minute, uh, the budget recommendation. Uh, Jeff, do you want us to do any like kind of action here? Uh, no, I just wanted to make you aware sometimes it's uh, the meeting minutes can get buried in these packets, but the CPRB did forward you a budget recommendation. Uh, staff's intention is to, to place that in, in the budget. Uh, it is uh, $6,600, uh, so a, a very small request for uh, outreach to promote their services uh, to the public through a variety of different means. So you can take a look at those minutes and, and see how they plan to use those. Um, they did not have enough information on the social worker um, idea. If you remember, they wanted to make available a social worker for, for uh, folks that file a complaint. Uh, and they still need a little bit of time to do that. You know we're putting together the budget now, so we'll incorporate the outreach budget, and once they forward you that proposal, uh, my guess is it'll be several months from now. If you want to amend the budget to include that, we'll certainly work with you to, to be able to do that. So that was it. I want to call your attention to that item. And then also the uh, three items pertaining to the development on IWV Road, Melrose. Um, we did get a request uh, from the applicant to defer to the next meeting. Uh, so I would go ahead and suggest when that item comes up um, that, sh that you defer. That's certainly your call. You don't have to, but uh, we did get that request uh, um, just prior to the meeting. Sure. Okay. Um, about the CBRB, any discussion or you guys agree? Okay. Then we can move to the information backing discussion, and we will start with October 21 information backing. Does anyone have anything for October 21st information backing? Okay, no one. October 28th. Okay, November 10th. November 4th. Sorry, November 4th. <laughs> Maybe I have, I have them all said them. I, I did want to uh, just mention. Uh, I can't IP hear you, John. Sorry? I can't hear you, okay. sorry. I, I wanted to mention the, um, the memo uh, from the police chief, uh, IP2, on the St. Ambrose traffic study. Uh, you know, so we're, we're seeing kind of modest improvement in some respects in terms of the disproportional contact. Um, one thing though I wanted to, to comment on was uh, the mapping of where this, the traffic stops occur. Um, it's, it's pretty, uh, not shocking, but uh, stunning to kind of see how it's concentrated. Uh, if you were to take 
the downtown square mile area and then directly north and directly south of that area and combine them, over 50% of the traffic stops occur in those three square miles. And um, so I found that kind of interesting. I know that we've been, you know, the focus of this study was on the disproportionate contact, but I've certainly been interested in the question of traffic stops um, and what, if anything, can be done to try to reduce the number of traffic stops, especially um, by implementing a program where we would try to ensure that that traffic, at least from a standpoint of traffic safety, uh, better self-regulate. And um, what I found interesting was, you know, insofar as w if we were to, to consider such a program, uh, over 50% of them are just in that three square mile area. So it would be possible to um, concentrate our efforts. This is not, traffic stops are not equally distributed throughout Iowa City. So there's an opportunity to to do kind of a focused analysis of what's actually going on. Why is it that, that so many traffic stops are concentrated in those very specific areas? So that to me was a takeaway aside from the, the question of where, where does, how, how are we doing in terms of disproportionality that I wanted to mention. I think I can give you a short answer to that, and then we can certainly elaborate it uh, down the road if you want. And if the chief has anything to add, he can come up and do so. Um, we're a very um, uh, uh, focused department on OWIs. Uh, we have a, 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 a large alcohol culture downtown, and uh, we do four to 500 uh, OWI charges per year on, on average. That's a significant amount. Uh, I think if we compared ourselves to other agencies, we do a lot more um, OWI um, stops uh, in, in a given year than uh, most comparable agencies. And, and certainly with the concentration of alcohol establishments downtown, that's why you're seeing a lot of that. I, I would venture to guess, I don't have the, the numbers right in front of me on the report, but probably if you broke that down further, you'd see a, a high majority of those at night as well. Mm -hmm. Is that Yes, uh, Chief Liston, Iowa City Police Department. I would just echo that um, most of our traffic stops are at night, and that is for the reason that the city manager just mentioned. And most of the traffic, certainly at night, are in those areas. That's where the establishments that are open. There are not many people driving around neighborhoods at night, so that's just where the tra where the traffic is is certainly going to be where the traffic stops occur. But I, I agree with you. There are certain things that we can do that you all can do. You've done it before on certain roads um, that, that do impact that. And mm -hmm. uh, I've seen it myself from living here 20 years ago and then coming back and seeing how the roads are different and notice that, how that does impact traffic flow. Right. So, yeah, I, 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 I kind of thought that that certainly would be a contributing factor. Um, but nevertheless, I mean, if, if we, we are concerned with... Um, those who are driving under the influence, uh, their driving behavior then becomes a concern. Aside from your, you know, the arrest of those drivers, there are many that would would not be arrested who are driving under the influence. And if if the road conditions are such that they do promote high speeds and volume, you know, the chances of of a collision, which is again, I think, well, one thing I didn't mention was if if we were to overlay. If we had more precise information of where these stops were taking place to try to understand to what degree are they um, 
do they, how do they overlay with, re, with regard to where the collisions occurred, uh, where we have incidents of you know, car on car, pedestrian, bicycle you know, uh, collisions with vehicles, and, and try to identify that as well. So it's, you know, where, where, where is it critical that we uh, improve not only safety and disproportionality, but um, you know, quality of life and the experience in these areas, because if it's, you know, if it, if it is where we're seeing a, a, a disproportional um, behavioral factor, that too is something that would be of a concern to me. And, and if it's resulting in not only higher arrests, but higher collisions and so on, I, I think that's something that could be looked at. I know the report had a recommendation that we were gonna get the exact, or that we should, get the exact sort of coordinates of these stops? Is that something we will be able to implement? Yes, we, we currently do. With the systems that we have in the vehicles, it gives exact latitude and longitude through GPS. We do. And so we can correlate that and so the Absolutely. going forward yep. data? Yes. Excellent. Thank you. Anything else for November 4th? Okay, last one, November 10th. Okay, uh, last item the your council update and assign board and commissions. Uh, anyone can start, maybe you can start with Kenneth. Yeah, I just wanted to, um, it's, not, it's not specifically a assigned board, although it might sort of loosely be associated with the CPRB. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to make a, a, a just basically a comment with respect to the um, process involved in the, in the arrest that took place at at City Hall about a week and a half ago. Um, and I'm really, what I'm focused on here is community building and judgment and, and what constitutes public safety. Um, because to me, um, when faced with a similar situation, um, I, would like, I would like law enforcement to look at a non-emergency situation through the dual lens of community building and public safety. So for example, is this person a flight risk? Um, if the answer is no, um, then you move on. Is there any danger of violence? If the answer is no, you move on. Is there any way we can do this um, that we will be respectful of this person and the process and not be disruptive um, or have a chilling effect on others? Um, I think quite often the answer is yes. So for example, can we simply tell this person hello, you may not be aware of it, but this, this particular issue is out there and you should go take care of it as soon as possible. I mean, yes, we could. So I, in the interest, truly in the interest of our community and in building community policing, um, I, think for, I think it's really necessary that people, that, that police and other law enforcement be as, a, as aware as possible of what is going on in the community be aware of the optics, assuming there's not an emergency situation or, or, some, sense, or some threat of violence or somebody fleeing. Um, and, they need, and they need to think about building relationships as well. So I, my bottom line is I'd really like to see them think about what's truly in the interest of public safety and moving the process forward, including community building. Uh, and 
when there's no emergency when there's no emergency there um, it strikes me that there there ought to be the time and capacity to do that uh, and that's so I would really like to, to, to see improvement in that going forward. Pauline. Uh, Mayor Pro Tem, Sully and I um, sit on the um, Council uh, Rules Committee, and as you saw in uh, item 7D on the consent agenda, uh, we recommended approval of the proposed amendment changes uh, to uh, the Board of Adjustments procedural rules and and that was expanding public notification and we saw that many times in some of our planning and zoning uh, questions people questioned whether it was still 300 feet and for the Board of Adjustment we we did accept that 500 feet is more uh, more acceptable uh, to do that and it's not prohibited by law uh, also uh, that the uh, chair which it seemed odd uh, to allow the chair to move or second motions apparently they're just one of a few maybe one other CPRB or so that, that that's not allowed but uh, the chair uh, allowed to second motions and also for multifamily units we've seen that with some of our notifications where uh, it goes to the owner of the multi-family uh, complex and um, so the residents aren't aware of these changes and they would be more aware than than someone perhaps who doesn't even live in the area uh, so that was another very positive uh, change that that we approved of okay um, the Iowa City Area Development Group ICAD um, had their annual meeting a couple of weeks back and they are um, continuing to work with the Project Better Together 2030 larger community visioning that is happening. So hopefully people have heard about that and continue to uh, kind of keep an eye on it, keep a pulse on it as they're moving into um, additional kind of engagement after a big community event that happened in October. Um, again, that's not just an ICAD initiative, but they are part of it. Uh, I, I don't have any things to report on, but I really want to echo what uh, Council Weiner said. Uh, I just believe that it was unfortunate what happened, happened the way it happened. And besides building community, this is really are not building the trust we, among buyback community. Each time we say, oh, you know, we are really starting building that kind of trust, incident like someone is asking will come up and really break that trust again and give the like the, the sense for the buyback community that you know this is not going nowhere you know i i think we need as a city to really look closely on this especially as a police department i hope this is will be an eye-opening for many things that being happening there and continue to happen to certain people in the community. Uh, the discussion for this is uh, not like, this is not, I don't think now this is the time for it, but it have to be, uh, you know, it just have to be like some another time to discuss this because we don't have that item on our agenda. Okay. Trump, you're saying and say he's out of order. 
Okay, now I guess uh, if nobody else have anything, we have we're gonna adjourn this meeting. This is fucking bullshit. Anything else? Okay, meeting adjourn.